0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, the courtyard and its furniture and how to be closer to God, Exodus 27 to 38. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. There's generally a blog post for each one of these lessons on my website, livethroughjesus.com, and all of the past studies are done in writing and available to purchase there for under $5. The current study, I may be writing as I go along, so it may or may not be there quite yet, but it definitely will be available once all of the lessons for it are complete. I'll try to let you know, but you can also just check the website periodically, maybe each week when a new blog post comes out. Okay, so now that all of that's out of the way, let's get started on this week's lesson. On the last episode, we talked about building the tabernacle and all of the furniture that was in it, and also what function everything served. And I know that that sounds boring if you didn't listen to it, but if you happen to miss it, you will want to go back and listen to it. Because in describing the tabernacle and all of the things that were within it, we got a really good picture of how beautiful God's house was. Even though this was a portable tent that the people were going to carry with them as they traveled, it was made with extreme detail and costly materials, and it was completely beautiful. And we did talk a little bit about how that reflected God's beauty and his value and glory and all of the things that the people were supposed to feel and think when they walked into that place. So if you missed that episode, go back and listen to it. And then this episode, we're going to talk about the courtyard that surrounded this tabernacle, which was basically just a fence that went around the tabernacle and a couple of the furnishings that went in it. And then also what it symbolized. Who was the courtyard built for? Who was the holy place built for? Who was allowed into the most holy place? And end with Jesus. The Old Testament is generally just a foreshadow of the things to come, and this is no different. So I want to begin by telling you about the courtyard, what it looked like and what it was made out of, and we'll do the same with all the furniture, and then we'll tie it all together. So the courtyard was a fence that was about 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, and seven and a half foot tall. And, you know, the tabernacle was 15 feet tall. So this was half of the height, a long rectangular fence. And there was a good amount of space in this yard at the entrance. The tabernacle was only 45 foot long. And so this was 150 feet. It's made with bronze pillars and bronze bases and then linen curtains that were attached to these pillars. There were 20 pillars on the north and south sides, which were the long sides, and then 10 on the west end. And on top of these pillars, they overlaid this bronze with silver, and there were silver hooks, and from those silver hooks hung silver rods that were angled from the top down to the ground and put into the dirt with bronze pegs. Remember that this was a portable fence also, so it was made to tear down and build back up. It has the same types of materials as a tent would have. And then on the center of the east end was the entrance. And the entrance was a 30-foot screen, and it hung from four bronze pillars with bronze bases. and this screen gate was made out of linen curtains, but it was also embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and so the gate was prettier than the rest of the courtyard. Twenty-two and a half feet on either side of the gate were three bronze pillars with the linen curtains that looked like the rest of the walls. I want to read you this verse in Psalm 96, 7 through 9. It says, Give to the Lord, O families of the people, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. And so I wanted you to see that When it talks about God's courts, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the courtyard and it says to come in and bring an offering. And so we'll talk about the bronze altar in a minute, but they would bring their offerings into this courtyard and then they would see the beautiful tabernacle and the holiness of that and they would worship God. And so that's what that verse is talking about. Okay, so then inside the tabernacle, after you got into the entrance, was a bronze altar. And they would call that the altar of burnt offerings. And it was made out of planks of acacia wood. And then those planks were overlaid in bronze. And the reason it was planks and not solid wood is because this altar was hollow because they were going to put the animal on it and cook it there. And so it was seven and a half feet square and four and a half foot tall. And it had horns on the top of each corner. And that was thought to maybe keep the animal on the altar a little bit better. And then about halfway down inside the altar was a bronze grate. And they would place the animal on this grate and cook it. And then the ashes would fall between the slats. And so that's the reason it was made hollow like that. And then on this grate were the bronze rings that the acacia poles that were overlaid in bronze would go in so that they could carry it as they left. And then the altar also had pots that would hold the ashes and then shovels and basins and forks and firepans and all of that. And all that was made of bronze. So all of those were utensils for the altar of burnt offering. And then behind the altar of burnt offering, before they walked into the tabernacle, there was a bronze basin. And we don't know exactly what this looked like, but it was just a basin that held water. And every time that the priests either entered the tabernacle or went to cook on the altar, they had to wash their hands and their feet in this basin. And this was to symbolize that they needed to be clean when they entered the presence of the Lord or offered sacrifices to him. And cleansing all through the Bible is to show purity, righteousness, things like that. And so they would do this as a picture of the priest being clean before they present the offerings to the Lord or enter into his presence. Listen to what it says in James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so right here, it's talking about cleansing their hands, but it's not the same thing as what they were doing when they were physically cleaning their hands. Again, they were physically cleaning their hands to give a picture of having clean hands. When it talks about your hands and feet in the Bible in this sense, it's talking about your deeds, the things that you do with your hands. You know how someone would say, I have blood on my hands. They don't mean they physically have blood on their hands. They mean that they've killed someone. And so, It's the same thing. Whenever you have clean hands, that means the deeds that you do are clean. And when you purify your heart, your heart is clean, not physically, but your intentions are pure. You have a clear conscience, okay? So these are the things that they're doing physically in the courtyard that are supposed to symbolize that you're cleaning yourself from your deeds and purifying your heart. And because of what this washing represented, the priests had to follow this custom exactly so that they wouldn't die whenever they entered the presence of the Lord or presented offerings to him. Anytime they were ministering to God, they had to do this. Now, what's interesting about these basins is that it says that they are made of bronze mirrors. When the bronze is well polished, then you could see your reflection in it. And so they would use these for mirrors. And listen to this verse in Exodus 38, 8. It says, He made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And so these women donated their mirrors for them to use to make the bronze basin. And this was a very valuable donation because these mirrors were in short supply. And so they very well are giving the only ones that they have in order to make this basin. Something else that's unique about this basin, along with the golden lampstand, those are the only two pieces of furniture that have no rings on them to be carried by poles. Now, notice that the women that donated these mirrors, it says, were the serving women that assembled at the door of the Tabernacle of meeting. And so then the question would be, what kind of service did these women provide, right? What were they doing? How were they ministering in the courtyard? And honestly, we just don't know. But it does show us that women had a place with the Lord. They had a place in ministry of some sort. And the Gospels tell us that women even ministered to Jesus. Listen to what it says in Mark 15, 40 and 41. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary of the Mother of James the Lesser, and of Posis, and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So it says that women ministered to Jesus, and it sounds as if they were taking care of Jesus and helping meet his needs as he was travelling so that they could relieve some of the burden off of him so he could better minister to the people. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like their ministry is a caretaking type role, taking care of whatever needs he might have so that he could focus on the ministry that he had been given by the Lord towards the people. That's what I see it. And that's in keeping with the whole reason that God said that he made Eve in the first place. In Genesis 2:18, it says the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. And then it goes on to say that he wanted Adam to tend the garden and name the animals and take care of the animals. And so it sounds to me that Eve is there to help him with that work. And if you realize that is something that is helpful, if you're busy doing a job, it's helpful if someone comes alongside of you and does some of the small things so that you can focus on the big things or comes and asks you, you know, hey, do you need any help? Is there anything I can do to help you? Just take care of some of the details so that you can focus on your work. And so In our culture, we've decided that women are insignificant if they do things like that, that they're better served if they have their own job and they do their own things. But it's actually very important to take care of the details and help other people out because then they can better do their job. And really, you're just a team. They're doing something and you're helping them along so that they can do their job well. And so my assumption for how the women were ministering in the courtyard is probably just by helping and serving the other people that were there the priests and the other people. When the people would come in, they would probably greet them and ask them if they needed anything, what their intentions were for being there, if they could do anything to help them. Most likely they would do that for the priests also. That would be my assumption. Again, we don't know, but we need to get out of our minds that that is not an important job because When that isn't happening, people have to stop what they're doing to do the small things that may feel insignificant to us, but are a huge help to them. And by actually saying that these women ministered there in the courtyard, it just shows that God felt them to be valuable. That was not an insignificant job to him. It was very important that the women do their part just as the men did their part. So we as women can minister to others just by helping to meet their needs. We can just be there and see what needs to be done and how can we help. What is it that we could do to make things easier for others? That's important. That is a ministry. We don't have to have a title in the church in order to serve others in the church. That's ministering to them, whether it be other members of the church or people that work there. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This isn't talking specifically to women, but it doesn't seem to be talking specifically to men either. God has had grace on us by giving us gifts, and we need to use those gifts to minister to each other, man or woman, whoever we are. Women, I believe, are given different types of ministry oftentimes than men are, but also every person is given a different gift. And so we shouldn't be envious of what other people's gifts are and wish that we could minister in a different way. Whatever it is that God's given us to do, we just need to do it happily and with an attitude of serving other people. So I just think it's significant that they put this in the Bible, that these women assembled in the courtyard and met the needs of others. And I think it gives us a good lesson that we're valuable to God no matter what. And we have a place with God as women. Okay, so that is all the furniture, all the things that are going on. You're going to walk through this gate that is made of fine linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and when you get inside this fence that's made of those linen curtains and bronze pillars, then you're going to see an altar, and behind that, you're going to see a bronze basin with water, and that is the courtyard. So now that we know what it looks like, I just want to talk a little bit about what the purpose of the courtyard was. The courtyard was specifically made for the Israelites. This is where they would present their sacrifices to the priests. And this is as far into the presence of God that the Israelites were allowed. They were not allowed in the tabernacle, just as they were not allowed on the mountain when Moses was meeting with God. The Israelites were not allowed any further into God's presence. Remember, God's presence dwells there between the cherubim in the holiest of holies, it says. And so if you remember, whenever Moses went on the mountain to meet with God, it said, you may not go any further than the foot of this mountain. If anyone touches this mountain, they will die. And it's the same here the Israelites could only approach the tabernacle. They were not allowed in it, same as they weren't allowed on the mountain. Now, if you remember, there were a few people that were allowed on the mountain, and that was the 70 elders and Aaron and his sons and then Moses. And they were allowed on the mountain after Moses had read the book of the covenant and sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the people. Then those select people were allowed on the mountain, and they shared a meal with God there on the mountain. And this is the same as the priests being allowed into the holy place to light the lamps and burn the incense and do the work of God in the holy place. And then also they were allowed, just as those elders and Aaron and his sons were allowed to go on the mountain and share a meal with God, these priests once a week would share a meal in the presence of God by eating the showbread that was on the table on the Sabbath day. And so the Israelites were only allowed in the courtyard. The priests were only allowed in the holy place. And then only the high priest was allowed into the most holy place. And if you remember, after the elders and Aaron and his sons finished having a meal with God, they went back down the mountain to be with the congregation. And Moses went further on the mountain into the presence of God and had an intimate conversation with God. And that's the picture that we get from the high priest. He was the only one that was allowed further into the presence of God, into the closest place that you could get to God. Same as Moses. So the Israelites are in the courtyard, only allowed as far as the door of the tabernacle. Then the priests are allowed a little closer to God, into the holy place. And the high priest is allowed into the intimate presence of God in the holiest of holies. But they only get to go there one time a year on the Day of Atonement And we'll talk further about the Day of Atonement later, but I just want to touch on this today because it has a little bit of significance about how close we can get to God. And so they would go into the most holy place one time a year on the Day of Atonement with a sacrifice that was made on behalf of the people for the entire last year of sins And they would go before God and God would meet with him there over the mercy seat between the cherubim and grant forgiveness to the people for the sins that they committed the year before. But no longer is it like that, right? No longer is it like that because when Jesus died, this veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place tore in two from top to bottom. I want you to listen to what it says in Matthew 27, 50 and 51. This is when Jesus is on the cross and it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks split. And so when this veil tore, that meant no more separation. No more wall between the holy place and the most holy place. No more restriction from who could enter into the most holy place. Now, everyone can be in the intimate presence of God. Used to, it was only the high priest once a year. Now, everybody can enter into that place. Again, the symbolism, the things that it's showing us by the tearing of the veil. And so on the day of atonement, the high priest would enter the most holy place and make atonement for the sins of the people that they had committed in the previous year. But on the day that Jesus died, he made atonement for us. But he didn't just make atonement for the past year's sins. He made atonement for all of the past sins, all the present sins, all the future sins of all his people. The priest was making atonement for the people, but Jesus was making atonement for his people all the people that would accept him. And so what was once reserved only for the high priest one day a year now can be experienced by all of us anytime. We don't need anyone else to offer sacrifices on our behalf. We don't need other people to ask for forgiveness on our behalf. Jesus offered the sacrifice one time for everyone. And now we can approach God ourselves and we can ask forgiveness for ourselves whenever we fail him. And then whenever we do this, then God accepts the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf that one time. And then he grants us mercy just as he did for the Israelites when the high priest spoke with God there before the mercy seat. So I want to read you. Two passages in Hebrews talking about Jesus and how he was our sacrifice, but also our high priest and the foreshadowing of the tabernacle. So this first one is Hebrews seven twenty six through 28. This is talking about Jesus. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, This priest doesn't need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. For he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who's been perfected forever. And so this is saying that Jesus is our high priest because he presents the offering. Jesus presents the offering and he is the offering. He presents the sacrifice and he is the sacrifice. And so it talks about how he doesn't need to daily do this like the priest did this because the priest had to offer for their own sins and for the sins of the people. Jesus didn't have to offer for his own sins because he didn't have any. And so he was able to just offer up for our sins. And that's the reason his offering is a more lasting offering than the offering that was given by the priests. Now, the next passage that I want to read to you is Hebrews 9. And we're going to read the first 15 verses of chapter 9. This talks about the tabernacle and Jesus and what it meant when Jesus came in relation to the tabernacle. It says, then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And then behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were golden pots that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in much detail. So he's say I'm really not talking about those things. I'm just describing the place that I'm talking about, but we're not going to go into detail with that. Now, there's a couple of things I want to say about this before we move on. One thing is it says that the golden censer was in the room with the ark. And it really wasn't. It's just they would bring the incense that was burned from the altar of incense into that room on the day of atonement. And so that's what he's talking about. And then the other thing is that it does list a couple of extra things that we don't know yet are in the ark, but they later put in the ark. So that's what that's about. Now let's go ahead and continue to read in verse six. That was just telling us about the tabernacle. It says, now when these things had been thus prepared, The priests also went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. So that's what I was talking about before. The priests are the only ones allowed into the holy place. But in the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So that's what that other verse said before. Remember how the priests had to offer for themselves and then for the people. Well, it says that again here, that they offered for themselves and then the people. And only he could go behind the veil into the most holy place once a year. Beginning in verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. So this is what it's talking about. This is the gist of it. So you need to pay really close attention to this part. It says the purpose of the most holy place hadn't been made manifest to them while the tabernacle was still there. They didn't understand completely being in the presence of God and what that was about and that it was symbolic. It's pointing to Jesus. So that's what it says here in verse 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which can't make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with food and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. So this is what we were talking about with the basin and how they would cleanse themselves by washing and they were concerned with all of these ordinances and the food and the drink and all of this. And he said, these are all symbolic because they can't make the person that's performing these services perfect. The cleansing wasn't really making them clean in regard to the conscience, it said. And so that explains a little bit James 4, 8, when we were talking about clean your conscience, clean your hands, clean your conscience. He said that really didn't do that. It was just a symbol of what Jesus was about to do how Jesus was going to clean the conscience and so this is verse 11 but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle that was not made with hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption and so Jesus entered The presence of God is what he's talking about. He broke that veil and entered into the presence of God with the sacrifice of himself. Not the sacrifice of goats and calves, but his own blood. Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to the serving of the living God. So he said, if those things were sufficient in those days, then how much more will Jesus' offering of himself that was given through the Holy Spirit, the offering of himself that was perfect, How much more can a perfect offering cleanse our conscience? So saying they cleansed their hands before they presented these bulls and these goats and the blood of those. But how much more can our conscience be cleared? How much cleaner can our hands be of the deeds that we've done by a perfect sacrifice in Jesus? And it says that it will cleanse our conscience from the dead works to serve the Lord. And that's because anybody that is doing works before they are saved, their works are just dead. We can't do anything to please God without faith in Him. This is the last verse. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So because Jesus came, we're able to have an eternal inheritance. When we ask God for forgiveness, then God accepts Jesus' sacrifice that he entered the holy place in the presence of God and offered on our behalf. And then Jesus grants us mercy from his throne on high. That's his mercy seat now. And so that's all we have today. That's all we're going to do. I just wanted to talk about the courtyard, and how the Israelites were not able to go any further than that. And then the holy place where the priests were and got to share a meal and do some ministering, but where the high priest would go and meet intimately with God and how that's all done away with now. Now we have access to God at any moment, any time, not just once a year. And we can come to him without the help of anyone else and talk with him and ask for forgiveness. And so we always need to keep that in mind. This is why I love studying the Old Testament because it all points to Jesus and it makes everything in the New Testament so much more real. The purpose of all the rituals and the things that were done in the Old Testament were to point us to the New Testament. And now that we have the New Testament, we need to look back into the Old Testament and see the picture that God was painting for the people back then of what was to come. So keep that with you this week. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about the priests. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review, if you will. Also, leave me comments. And if you'd like to email me, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.